This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is Yukon License. Yukon License. I can never tell whether Franz the crazy German is thinking outside of the box or if he is really and truly crazy. Franz is always coming up with schemes to make money. He calls them his wonderful ideas. He noticed that tourist stores in Whitehorse were selling Yukon license plates to tourists for $15. These are genuine license plates with the number 0000 on them. Franz discovered he could buy these for $5 directly from motor vehicles, who didn't care what he did with them. Look, he said, I could sell these plates for $10 and make a profit of $5 on each one. If I sold 100,000 plates a year, that would make me half a million dollars every year. What's wrong with that? Without thinking too hard, I could see several problems. First, the tourist stores could easily drop their prices to $8 or even $5 or less. They didn't have to make money on license plates. They could even give them away to get people to come into their stores to buy t-shirts, keychains, and CDs of Robert Service poetry readings. That's how they really made their money. Second, I doubted that 100,000 tourists every year would necessarily want souvenir license plates. Price probably wasn't the limiting factor. I doubted if anyone could even give away 100,000 license plates for free. And third, most of the tourists to Yukon passed through Whitehorse. I wasn't sure that many of them would make the trip out to Franz and Miko's house in Tagish just to get license plates. Franz was unhappy with my observations, but couldn't find fault with my logic. His next wonderful idea involved marketing tour packages so tourists could have a real Yukon experience. Somewhere, Franz had met a young lady named Brandy, who traded sex for money, especially with tourists in outdoor settings. Franz thought with his contacts in Germany, he could pre-sell package tours to German tourists to save them the trouble of organizing things when they arrived. A ride on the waterfront trolley, a burrito at shipyards, sex with Brandy, and a souvenir license plate to take home. You may not appreciate, Chuck, he confided to me, the difficult that a respectable man has in arriving in a foreign country and finding a decent woman to have sex with. I'm German, and I know that other Germans would really go for this sort of thing, and they'd each get a free license plate. The word pimp was not part of Franz's vocabulary, but he understood the stigma attached to the concept. But I wouldn't be exploiting Brandy, he exclaimed. I'd simply be helping expand her business. Think of this as marketing. And of course, I would take a fee for each tour package I set up wasn't quite sure of the laws on this, but I did think there was something forbidding living on the avails of prostitution, and I suggested Franz look that up. He grumbled and never mentioned that anymore. Then, about two weeks ago, Franz called me with yet another wonderful idea. Chuck, he said, I need your help. I have become a tour operator, and I have two Japanese couples arriving next week for a real Yukon experience. Miko is doing all the Japanese interpreting and translating, but she has to look after the triplets. He wanted to know if we had room for the tourists in our walnut crescent bed and breakfast. We did. If I could drive them out to his place in Tagish on Saturday evening, I could. And if I would assist with some undefined logistical details, I couldn't think of a way out of that. I agreed to help him. The two couples arrived on schedule and checked into our B&B. 
My wife Mara asked what they would be doing at Tagish, but they didn't speak English all that well. One woman said, mm, baby, and then waved her arms in the air. We didn't understand. On the Saturday evening, I loaded the two couples into the van. Each person carried a small overnight bag, and one couple had a bag of camera equipment and a small tripod. Franz and Miko met us in the yard, where two tents were set up in the snow. Each tent had a propane heater operating at full blast, and the tents were full of foam mattresses, quilts, and blankets. Franz and Miko handed each couple a walkie-talkie and zipped them into their tents. Franz and Miko then invited me into the house. We'll give them some time to settle in, said Franz. They'll call us on the radio if they need anything. What is this all about, anyway, I asked. Are they here just to do some winter camping? No, 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 said Franz, impatiently. I don't know if you notice the top of the tents. Each one has a little plastic window. I had the tents specially modified. Miko assures me that Asian couples consider it quite good luck to conceive a child under the northern lights. Well, that's why they're here. I looked out the living room window. The sky was overcast, and the occasional flake of snow drifted down. Hmm, too bad about the northern lights, I said. What if they want their money back? Details, details, replied Franz. I thought of that. But, but first, the moose. Miko went to feed the triplets, and Franz pulled a moose call from a shelf by the door. Before he went outside, he asked Miko to radio the couples in the tents to remind them to stay inside if they happened to hear any wild animals. Franz trudged around the yard and between the tents, blowing the moose call for about ten minutes. The radio erupted with a frenzy of questions in Japanese. Miko soothed the tourists' concerns. When Franz came in, he said, There, now they have experienced a bit of the wild Yukon, larger than life. Most people use a moose call with the intention of calling a moose. I don't think this possibility had ever entered Franz's mind. He just wanted to make moose-like noises. He was thus very surprised, as we sat in the living room looking out the window, to see a large bull moose appear out of the woods at the far end of the yard. It stood looking quizzically at the tents, then started slowly toward them. Oh no, exclaimed Franz, this could be really dangerous. Sometimes moose trample on things they don't understand or they don't like. What shall we do? Well, I observed, you could take your moose call outside and try to lure the moose away from the tents. Franz pulled on his boots and parka and disappeared out the door. We soon heard the blat of the synthetic moose. The bull moose heard it too. It slowly ambled through the snow and disappeared from view around the other side of the house. Franz got back 20 minutes later, covered with snow. <sighs> that worked, he said, panting, but, but too well. He came after me, and I had to run down the road, climb under the fence, and wiggle along the ground so he wouldn't see me. After a quick glass of schnapps to warm himself up, Franz declared, Okay, now it's time for the storm. I helped him quietly set up waterproof speakers on each side of the yard and connect them with heavy speaker wire through the partially open door to Franz's stereo in the living room. He had a series of natural sound effect recordings on CD. Franz had a bit of trouble selecting the right track. The Japanese couples in the tents were treated to 10 seconds of waves breaking on the seashore before Franz finally got to wind blowing across the Ross ice shelf that he let play for about 15 minutes. That sounded very cold, even inside the house. Then he switched to wolves howling in a national park for 15 more minutes, preceded by an accidental short burst of birds in a tropical rainforest. 
larger than life indeed. The Howling Wolves recording didn't attract any wolves, but it did draw the attention of the neighbor's giant St. Bernard dog. It wandered into the yard and looked around. What does he want? cried Franz in frustration. The dog sniffed the first tent, then lifted his leg and urinated on the corner. He ambled over to the second tent and treated it to the same indignity. The dog then looked up at us, staring at him through the living room window. I swear he grinned at us. Then he wandered off in the direction of his home. Miko giggled. Franz swore. Enough silliness, declared Franz. Time for the Northern Lights. Under his direction, he and I quickly carried a folding aluminum ladder out of the garage and propped it against a tree on one side of the yard near the tents. We set up a shorter stepladder on the other side of the yard. Franz brought out two very large rechargeable spotlights. He kept the one with the green filter and handed me the one with the red filter. They're a million candle power, he whispered, on sale at Canadian Tire. He carefully climbed the folding ladder and played the green light over the tops of the two tents. I mounted the stepladder and did the same with the red light. We continued the zigzag simulated northern lights until the battery started to die. About that time, Franz shifted position on the ladder slightly, and one side sank slowly into the snow, dumping him off sideways. The heavy flashlight hit him on the head. To his credit, he made no noise. We quietly put away the ladders and headed into the house. Okay, they've had the sound and light show. Time to give them some peace and quiet to get on with the job in hand. We sat in the living room, drinking tea, looking out of the tents in the now peaceful yard. I dozed fitfully, but something jerked me awake. It took me a few seconds to realize where I was. I looked at my watch. It was just after 4 a.m. I looked out into the yard. The sky had cleared, and the most beautiful aurora borealis danced overhead. Folded curtains of green and yellow surrounding a circular volcano of flowing light. A lone wolf was sitting on the edge of the yard, framed by the two tents. As I watched, he lifted his nose to the heavens and let out a most mournful howl that made me shiver. I watched for at least a minute before I shook Franz and Miko awake. The Japanese couples came into the house about 6 a.m. They talked animatedly amongst themselves. They were quite impressed by the northern lights and all the wild animals, reported Miko. This is all very good luck. We sat down for a breakfast of scrambled eggs, maple syrup, and spicy elk sausages. The uptake on the sausages improved greatly when Miko explained that they were a traditional Yukon food for rebuilding sexual potency. I drove the Japanese tourists back to Whitehorse. They slept the entire way, each clutching a free Yukon 0000 license plate. They slept some more at our B&B before taking the afternoon flight to Vancouver. I was somewhat troubled by the whole concept. Was it right to sell the Yukon experience to tourists when it wasn't the real thing? Nature recordings and northern lights from Canadian Tire. Disneyland wasn't real either, but at least there, people knew it, that it wasn't real. I suppose it really didn't matter. Franz called me the next week to say he needed more tents. He had seven more couples confirmed and two more tentative. Maybe this was indeed a Yukon license. A license to make money. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge.
instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmit.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.